We are in the Christmas season. We are doing a series on the, G the Jesus we don't know too well. Okay, what is it called? Lesser known Jesus. So we'll be, we'll be looking at different phrases and we'll be looking at one today, today uh, as well. But let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to instruct our hearts, yes? So Holy Spirit, we invite you to just come and be with us. And uh, I know that the cup was already nearly full with just your presence through worship. But I pray that uh, help us to engage with you a little more that our minds would be instructed so that our hearts will be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' birth is not just a great event or a good event, but actually it is the event of all history, of all mankind. You know, as the Christmas carol rightly says, the hope and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. Jesus brought hope. And in this Christmas season, you will hear many, many, uh, you know, things being sung in the Christmas carols that we have now become very familiar with, haven't we? And sometimes we kind of just almost gloss over it. I'm just moving away from the fan. Yeah. Um, and we don't stop to ponder on the meaning of those words or the intensity or the magnitude of what we are singing. And so today we're going to look at a very familiar uh, verse and we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 verses 11 to 14. And it says that today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is uh, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We don't have time to break down every phrase, but we'll do some. Okay? Today, in the town of David, a savior is born. Today, or this day, that means it is a day recorded in history. It's not a figment of someone's imagination. It's not mythology. It's not a fairy tale. It is a day recorded in history. How do we know? Because people are mentioned that, that are corroborated with secular history. Julius Caesar... Caesar Augustus, okay, these are real people. If you look at Roman history and the annals of history, you will uh, find their names there. And the same names are mentioned in the Bible. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill messianic prophecies. Now, he is actually, they were in Nazareth. And then Mary travels and Joseph travels. Why? Because suddenly there was a decree that everybody had to go to their hometowns to pay their taxes. How strange that it should happen that year, that time. And Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. Appears so, but actually fulfilling God's plan. So what do we learn from this? 
it may seem like, you know, oh gosh, my life is being turned upside down. Oh, I have to move from A city to B city. Or I have to move from this building to that. Or I have to change this job or that. And you can't see the grand scheme of God. But know that He is the Lord of history. Not just of history, but the history of your life as well. So take comfort in that. Many historians have recorded Jesus as a real person and the natural events that surrounded his death. And they talk about it in their records, like when it says the sun grew dark at the time of the crucifixion and the rock split. There are historians who actually record that as an eclipse, an unusual eclipse that took place. So history does also bear witness to the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Some of them was Josephus who wrote of Jesus in the antiquities of the Jews. Lucian, who was a Roman comedian, wrote mocking the Christians actually, but in that he does treat Jesus as a very real person. There was Justin Martyr, who was a Christian, and his, in his writings in 150 AD mentions um, uh, and is mentioned in some historical documents, he reports about the, cru uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. He mentions that Pilate, who was the prefect or the governor at that time, you see, all the governors had to send their reports back to Rome. And he says, definitely, and he says, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus was reported back to Caesar. So these are real events in history. We need to sometimes remind ourselves of this. You say, so what? There are other God-men who are also historical figures. Are they not? Yes. Yes. Okay. There are God-men who are historical figures. But what makes this different? He didn't just die. He rose again. He rose again. Witnessed by hundreds of people. Okay. Written in history. People didn't know what to do with this fact, but it has been recorded. History has been divided into BC and AD. Today they want to call it what else? What do they call it today? Common era. They want to take it away. But it is BC and AD. That changes everything. Hallelujah. The angels cried, Glory to God in the highest. Never before. And never since has anyone's birth been heralded by angels. Today you may have the BBC announce someone's birth. You may have CNN. You may have, what do we have here? Uh, you know, Archduck and what, uh, whatever the news channels are. I'm sorry, but I don't watch the news too much. You know? But this is greater than any light and sound show you can ever imagine. Imagine angels filling the sky, angels singing. I mean, what a sight that must have been. Glory to God in the highest. Amazing. You know, why glory to God in the highest? That means in every realm, from the highest of heavens to the lowest point in earth below. 
God will be magnified and acknowledged. His splendor will be made known through this little child wrapped in swaddling cloths. And wherever he is glorified, you know, it says, the rule and his government, there shall be no end. This was prophesied by Habakkuk in 2.14, where it says, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. Even Isaiah says, you know, the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. How does this happen? This happens when people become children of God and they spread his peace through the demonstration of kingdom lifestyle in their lives. A little more on that. So today, we are going to look at this phrase, peace on earth and on whom his favor rests. You know, 1960s and 70s, this was made popular. Peace man, peace man, right? Everybody knew the peace sign. Okay, it was fashionable to have the peace sign with tie and dye t-shirts. Is that peace? Peace man. That was the peace they had in 1960. I don't know if you all were around at that time, but it was like, yeah, cool, you know. This is not that kind of peace. And why such a greeting? Why peace? It could have, he, the angels could have said so many other things. But you know, the Jewish world and the known world at that time was not in a state of peace. There was a lot of turmoil. There, was a, there were a lot of wars and there were kingdoms that were trying to conquer other kingdoms. Rome was on like this big, huge giant that was just marching across Europe and had come down to North Africa, had moved towards Asia. Rome was expanding and they had also now uh, come into what was then Israel, okay? So the Jews longed for a Messiah that was going to rescue them, rescue them from Gentile rulers and Gentile oppression. They were longing for the Prince of Shalom to come and rule and reign literally in their country. The most common understanding of peace is the absence of conflict, isn't it? We say we have the peacekeeping corps, we have ambassadors of peace, you know, but however, the biblical understanding of peace is not necessarily the absence of conflict. It is a state of mind, it is a state of well-being and so much more, we'll come to it. But more than anything, peace is a person. His name is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And on the, of the increase of his government and peace again, there will be no end. We are promised that Jesus will bring us peace in an in ever increasing measure. Now shalom or peace is what was expected of any king, that a king would bring shalom to his kingdom. Though it was rarely experienced in Israel or in Judea for, the, uh, in Judah for that matter, 
but that is what they longed for the Messiah to bring, that he would be their prince of Shalom. What is Shalom? We only know it as a Hebrew greeting, like how we say hello, salam alaikum, shalom, okay? But Shalom is the peace. The Greek word is Irene. It means wholeness. It means completeness. In some places, it also means prosperity. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. It means pray for its well-being, its wholeness, its prosperity. Okay? It is like if you are looking for a rock to carve or to sculpture, you will look for a rock that has shalom. What does that mean? That there are no cracks in it. It is whole. It is complete. So you will look for a shalom rock. You'll say, ah, this rock is shalom. Or if you are building a wall and you don't want, there should be no gaps in the wall. It's, the bricks have been perfectly laid. And if they are perfectly laid, you'll say, this wall is shalom. It's complete. It's whole. There is no gap in it. In our lives, when things are not right or we have problems, okay, when we don't put things, when we have wrong priorities, wrong values, our relationship with God is fractured, our relationship with one another is fractured, then we do not enjoy shalom. So let us stop and examine. Do I have shalom in my life this morning? Do I have peace with God? Do I have peace with my fellow men? Is there shalom in the way I live my life, my lifestyle, my priorities? Is there shalom? If not, how do I get this shalom? In order to enjoy the shalom of God, we first need to have shalom with God so that I can enjoy the shalom of God. How do I get this peace with God? Everybody is searching for peace. The whole world is searching. People go high up, people go low down, people go into forests, people go into spas, people listen to things, people don't listen to things. People think if they have this, you know, waterfall sound, they'll get peace. If they have this tinkly sounds, they'll have peace. Really? Is that so powerful to change your life? We may enjoy temporary peace with those things but to have lasting peace right into eternity. We need peace with God. Can anyone have this peace? Let's look. As we all know that mankind was hostile to God. Why? Because Adam and Eve broke that shalom. They had shalom with God. Completeness, wholeness, prosperity in their relationship, well-being. But sin and rebellion and doubt and self-rule destroyed their union with God and it took away this shalom. And since then, man has been restless, nasty, brutish and short. I don't know how many of you recognize this phrase, but it was a phrase used by a philosopher who was also a Christian, Thomas Hobbes. You may have learned this in college. And many other philosophers criticized him. He said, how can you say man is nasty, brutish, and short? Said, Humanism says man is basically good. Society makes him bad. Is that true? The Bible tells us there is evil in the heart of man. 
and only God can turn that around. You know? So his assessment was bang on. And if you still don't believe me, read Romans 1. Where it says, where they neither glorified God nor gave him thanks. Therefore, God gave them up to every kind of vile and wicked lifestyle. And the heart became dark, it says, and foolish. And men gave up natural things. Gave up the worship of God for creatures. Gave up natural love for all kinds of perversion. But Jesus, praise be to God, came to restore shalom between man and God. How did this happen? Why did Jesus need to come? Couldn't God just do it? Jesus came first to bring peace between God and man because without that, we could not become children of God. We are all God's creation, but we are not all God's children. We become God's children when we accept Jesus. But to those who received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. And that is who we are. You know, Ephesians 2 verses 13 to 14 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself became, is our peace, who made as the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. Romans 5.2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus came. He came and that peace that we got came at a price. We heard that this morning. He became that perfect sacrifice for the appropriation of our sins. Last year mentioned this fancy word last Sunday. What does it mean? Simply means that a righteous, holy, sinless God needs to see justice done by punishing sin. And without that, there can be no shalom. But Jesus took our punishment upon himself so that we can be restored back into right relationship with God and enjoy peace with God and have the peace of God. Jesus took our sin that separated us from a holy God. He stood in our place, becoming that perfect, acceptable atonement not just for us, but for whoever will believe. Isaiah 52.5 says, but he was, 53.5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We have shalom. This was prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years ago before Jesus was born. So in order to come into God's favor, favor, it says, you know, on whom God's favor rests. That means it doesn't rest on everyone. In order to enjoy this favor, we need to acknowledge Jesus' death on the cross and seek forgiveness for our sins. Only the blood of Jesus can bring us into right relationship and shalom with God. This favor is available as a gift to anybody 
who will acknowledge Jesus and accept that he died for your sins. Only then can you live in the goodness of God's favor. So the shalom of God can rest on those who have favor with God and only those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior can enjoy the favor of God. Do you enjoy the favor of God this morning? If yes, rejoice in it. What is favor? It's goodwill, it's blessings that we enjoy as the children of God. It is a grace gift and gives us access to all the heavenly blessings that we have in Christ. Read Ephesians 1 for that, who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. When we are children of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. Everything, I, I've labored this point many times, so I'm not going to repeat it, okay? But that is favor, goodwill. I mean, it means God is looking and saying, you are blessed and everything I have, it's yours. Take it, go cash that check and use it, okay? It's an expression of God's love and extravagance to, toward you. Rejoice in it and be thankful. So what is this peace if it is different from the world? What is this peace that Jesus brings? He brought a different kind of peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives. And in John 12, 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. So therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus says this of himself, therefore it must be true. It is a lasting peace. It's a peace that is with us in the midst of trials and storms. Like Jesus in the boat. He said peace in the midst of the storms. This peace is perfect. It is lasting. And it sets a guard over our hearts and minds. It says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Okay, it acts as a shield against anxiety and worry. It says, therefore, do not be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God that what? Surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and mind. So that peace guards our heart and mind. Do you have shalom this morning? Let that shalom guard your heart and mind. So what do you do when anxious thoughts come? Replace it. It says, with, make your requests known to God with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and prayer will change things. So since peace is a person and Jesus comes and makes, takes residence in our hearts, we must enjoy Shalom 24 by 7. But we need to be actively engaged with Shalom. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him. You know, he will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind is stayed on him. Whose mind is focused on him. Whose mind is thinking about him. So that is when we enjoy the peace with God. When we enjoy the peace, peace with God, we then have peace within ourselves and we begin to enjoy the peace of God. Okay? There's a false sense of peace in the world and they try and get this, as I've said, through escapism, through alcohol, drugs, sex, today it's gaming and what have you. 
but it's only when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and live to bring him glory can we experience peace in our lives. We can be, we need to be at peace as, with ourselves once we've experienced the peace of Jesus. You and I can never bring wholeness to ourselves. There is no self-help. We need Jesus. We need to be dependent on him all the time. Only Jesus, only Jesus can remove our guilt, our shame, our anxiety. That is why he leaves his peace with us. That is why we need to abide in him. He says, when you abide in me, he says, my joy will be in you. My peace, my prosperity, my wholeness, completeness will come into you. Only God can do that for us. And sometimes this may mean you, guess you've experienced the forgiveness of God, but sometimes you need to learn to forgive yourself. Can I say that again? You need to learn to forgive yourself of the mess ups in your life. Anybody messed up here? All, Baba, hands, legs, all, all are up, okay? We've all messed up, big, small, whatever. Even if it is a small crack, we need the shalom of God to restore us, okay? Allow God to come in and heal those broken places. Only God can give beauty for ashes and bring wholeness to a fractured life. Only God. Only God. We have lots of life stories to tell you, but I am looking at the clock. Okay? So it is sometimes we have to celebrate who, how God has made you. Your gift mix, your personality, your talents, what you have, what you don't have. God's calling, you know, don't look at someone else's race. Don't look at someone else's life and say, oh, if only I was with like that person, no, I would have been so happy. You don't know what their story is. You're, okay, some say, oh, I wish I could be like you. I said, have you walked in my shoes? Will you go through what I went through for 40 years? Come, walk with me. So don't look at someone else's story. God has his, your own journey and in that he will bring shalom to you, okay? So we have, we must have the peace with God to have the peace of God. When we have these two things, we can then have peace with our fellow men, with others. You know, Paul often starts his epistles with what? Grace and peace to you. What a strange uh, you know, salutation, grace and peace to you. We can't enjoy shalom till we first know the grace of God. Okay? Back to basics, you know. It is when we've experienced the grace of God, we can have the shalom of God. In Jesus, that longed for shalom is experienced. And it surpasses political crisis, personal crisis, economic crisis, whatever, you can have shalom in the midst of chaos. Peace with others means something else. God has made us peacemakers. In Matthew 5, what does it say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God or children of God. So, 
when we enjoy that, God expects us to now become ministers of reconciliation, as it says uh, in Corinthians. You know, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are not peacekeepers. We are peacemakers. Peacekeepers do nothing. Let it be, no. Let it be. Let it be. And we leave things in a state of conflict. And we don't, we don't do the hard work of actually making peace, having those difficult conversations. It's difficult, trust me. To go to a person who has got kidas with you or, you or has got some issue with you to go and say, what's the issue? Let's talk about it. It takes courage, my friends. It does. Can we be peacemakers? Okay. Um, I'm reading a quote from the Bible Project uh, and their uh, thing on Advent. So it says, so peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships or in our world. And that is the rich biblical concept of peace. Peacemaking, as I said, is the most difficult part. Why? Because it's not in your control. I may go and try to make peace. There's no guarantee that person wants to make peace. Isn't it? So it's not all up to you. And yet, in Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it means, make every effort on your side to restore peace. Now, if the other person does not want to restore peace, that's on them. Okay? You're not responsible for their choices, their behavior, and how they respond or react to you. You do the right thing. Okay? And this reminds me of an old song you've probably sung in school, you know, which is called the Prayer of St. Francis which says, make me a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. And where there is doubt, true faith in you. Oh, Master, grant that I may be. So much to be consoled as to console. What a beautiful hymn, really. When we do this, you know, we are looking for then peace in every situation. Since, as I said, peace is a person and he abides in us, we need to keep our minds fixed on him. Like it says in Isaiah 26, 3, which I just quoted, and Philippians 4, 6, 7. We have to do something. We need to engage with peace. We need to replace those things with thanksgiving, prayer, so what is our response to this peace on earth and the Prince of Peace? Hopefully today you've understood peace in a greater measure. Okay, and that it's not just the absence of conflict, but it is so much more. Look for those gaps in your life and say, God, I want your shalom in it. That is the hope of all of mankind, that you and I have the opportunity to share with others this Christmas season. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the priests of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. 
and be thankful. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Isaiah 52, 7, which talks, is actually talking about you and I, says, How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. As ambassadors of Christ, each one of us have a responsibility to share the good news or the gospel with everyone who asks. And Christmas is a season, as Colin said, people are more inclined to hear the Christmas story. Let's use that opportunity to tell people about this shalom that everybody can enjoy if we appropriate what Jesus has done for us. When we do this, God is glorified and his ever-increasing peace will come on earth. And just as the angels announced his birth, one day the angels will announce his return. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, it says, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and he shall return. It says the way Jesus went, he is going to come back with the angels once again announcing his grand return. My friends, we are called to a great, great hope. A hope that is steadfast and certain. This Prince of Peace reigns and rules in our hearts. And let us make every effort to constantly be in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another and spread the shalom of God around us. Amen. 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 Amen.